Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paola has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide, Living with Loss, Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to my podcast and my YouTube channel. To have we have, today we have two sisters here, which is, I think, the first time. The, actually, not the first time, because the first time was me and my sister. <laughs> that was like a year and a half ago. So we have an episode of me and her talking about our dad's suicide. But today I have two sisters, Christina and Veronica. They're talking from the Czech Republic, East Europe, for those of you who, that, who don't know where that is. And the, when I talked to Christina before, I told her I've been fortunate enough to, to have been there, to Prague, of course, because that's where everybody goes. <laughs> Beautiful place. I love it. And I'm really glad she contacted me. First, it was Christina. She was talking about the experience of losing her mother. They lost their mom about a year ago. She was 57 years old. And she was telling me that she wanted to share her story because she thinks it can be helpful. And that's she actually, when I was reading your email, uh, Christina, I was thinking how similar it is to my experience, how you were digging into books, trying to understand talking to your therapy, you went to therapy, talk, yeah, talking, you know, for you, it was important to understand what was happening. And that's precisely what I did. I was reading books like crazy. She read my book was one of the books that she read. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I was like that. On There, there are two sides to that. One is very good. It does help you understand. The other one is you keep reliving the experience so it can be quite painful so that's one of the things I want to talk about but mainly one of the reasons why I loved when she at the end of our we always have I always have a conversation with my you know guests before to see if it's a good fit if it, if it can be re-traumatizing because I don't want to re-traumatize anyone and sometimes we come together to that decision that no it's not time yet we you know you need more time to be on the podcast in this case, it wasn't. And then at the end, Christina said, can I bring my, my sister Veronica in? Because I think it would be nice for, for us to talk about this together. Because that's, you know, you've been sharing the pain and the experience together. And I was like, that is excellent. Because I want to help families, those who are listening now. And they may have conflict within the family. One sees it differently. The other one can't accept the suicide or even if you are you accept it and you go through it together, the experience is different. So that's what we're going to kind of focus on, how both of you came to terms with the loss, how you're coping, what helps one, does it help the other? So I think I just want to help all of you who are listening, who are going through this pain and you have your family and maybe give you some ideas on how to how to talk about it openly and bring up the conversation and how to accept these differences. So thank you. This very long introduction. Usually my introductions are very short. <laughs> Fine. Don't worry but, about it. Yeah. Thank you, Christina and Veronica for being here and for sharing your story. Uh, 
You're welcome. Thank you for having us. And you basically uh, told in a in a nutshell what uh, my experience was. But I but I think um, at the beginning to a little bit understand where we were coming from and where my mom was coming from. I would like to say a little bit about her because she was living with depression. Um, I would say at least the the whole life uh, we. Known, known her so her uh, uh, whole adult life which uh had two outcomes i think one it was normalized for us uh to talk about she talked about her depression and uh, antidepressants and everything quite freely it was never covered in any kind of stigma which was maybe the good side but the um, the downside of this was that um at least me, uh, I kind of accepted it as it was something like asthma, something she was living with, something benign, so mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was mom. She had depression, her ups and downs, the seasonal depressions. It was always worse during the spring, and it got better by the summer. The autumn was kind of all right. And by the end of Christmas, it went all downhill again. And this was the cycle for years and years. Yeah, it was it was normalized for us because especially, you know, our mom wasn't uh, just sick mentally, but also physically. She always began being sick with all the colds, you know, getting antibiotics. And that was like for three months straight, she couldn't work. And so it was all interconnected. Yes. So during the spring of 2022, she was going through a major, I think, like, I don't know, like depression, not, not just depression, but like anxious depression. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, so, you know, in some medical so terms. So we knew she was worse, but whenever anyone asked me, I was like, uh, I was always like, yeah, it's springtime. Of course it's worse. Yeah. So... I think in the hindsight, because there's always the hindsight, I saw all the signs that she, for example, once I remember this conversation pained me deeply for months and months after her death. We went through, uh, went back from a funeral of a relative and she, she was saying she was very down and I was trying to cheer her up. And I said, so it's almost springtime. You love your garden. Then she want to garden a little bit. And she said something along, around the lines. Uh, no, nothing makes me happy anymore. Nothing makes me happy anymore. I was I was like, oh, but it's not true. Uh, you'll have your garden. And I was just cheering her up. And after she died, I was like, Oh, she was trying to. She was trying to tell me that nothing makes her happy anymore, and I just mm. didn't listen. And mm. this, um, in the beginning, this like sent me into the spiral of regret and guilt and horrible place. Now I know I couldn't have known that, but I wanted to point out that, for example, the long uh, lifelong depression is still a might become terminal like it did with our mom mm -hmm. and I just didn't see it coming because yeah. it was mom and her depression but never mom and suicide no no probably we don't connect these things but I love that you bring it up two things that you brought up that I I think it's interesting one is that you're talking about that uh, her you no know, ups and downs and how in the spring it was worse 
because this is actually a myth about suicide. People think that it gets worse and the numbers, the rates go up during the winter and it's not, it's during the spring worldwide. Isn't that strange? Yeah, but it is. I mean, the, the numbers are higher during the spring, really. But also what you said about the normalizing. So if it's normal, uh, you just don't pay attention. You don't pay attention and you don't see, like you said, I love the word that it can become terminal, right? And it did. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Well, first of all, I never said who is Veronica and Christina for those who are watching uh, the YouTube channel. So can... Christina, say I'm Christina. Yeah, hi. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So uh, how about for you, Veronica? Was it something to also that you just, yeah, it's mom. It's like back pain, right? It's coming oh, yeah. back. It was, uh, it was very similar. I was realizing that something is not okay because she was in a um, worse state than before. For example, she had this tremble. Oh. Uh, and... I, I saw her like a month or a few weeks before she died. Uh, she was um, very deep into her faith, like her Christianity. So I joined her to go to uh, like Easter mass on Sunday. And yeah, I just remember that I wasn't, that I saw that she wasn't like usually depressed as she usually was. She was, mm -hmm. she had this kind of emptiness in her eyes, mm. but I just couldn't you know I just couldn't like realize that it was it right nobody yeah. could know that it was like suicide thoughts but I really genuinely thought that she just needs some help so that's why we took her to her psychiatrist and we kind of hope that we are going to get her to get hospitalized and she's going to be fine in a, in a few months or a few weeks plus <laughs> What, yeah, what she, kind of what kind of killed me the most, if I if I can say it like that, was that I really didn't expect it to do that because she did it a month before my wedding. So oh yeah, I remember. You know, that one. I wasn't really thinking about her to be honest. I was thinking about myself, about my wedding. I don't know if you ever planned a wedding, but it's a terrible thing to do. It's uh, it's very stressful. I know. I don't. Yeah, I don't suggest it to anyone. I don't recommend it. Yeah, like, you know, I, I hope that I will never get divorced and married again because no, no, no. never. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of thought that, you know, that we're going to get her to hospital. She's going to get better. Then we're going to visit her and then she's going to be at my wedding. She's going to see how happy everybody is and she's going to get happier as well. Plus, it was supposed to be at the beginning of summer. So, so we kind of yeah. thought her seasonal depression will go like away a bit yeah, yeah. yeah she actually <clears throat> took her life uh she was supposed to be hospitalized in a mental uh institution to be treated for depression because the depression got so uh, got worse uh voluntarily of course she wanted that uh it mm -hmm. was discussed with her psychiatrist and she, we came to the agreement uh to agreement to an agreement that um the Mm, the inpatient care yeah, inpatient her, care yeah uh wasn't working anymore because she was in the care of the uh, of the same psychiatrist for 10 years so we were uh, she was also willing to try something new like oh. to get better okay but um <laughs> this is horrible that she uh actually uh was promised a place but there wasn't a place for her 
mm. uh, in the uh, in April, I think. Um, uh, like for one Monday, she they were they called her and they said, okay, you have to wait for another week. We don't have a place for you. No, they said on a month, but try calling in a week. Okay. So maybe there will be a place available. Uh, and she called me like broke down like they don't have a place and i was just like yeah it's another month it's only a month you can make it uh, uh you will be ready and everything and i didn't take it seriously again her anxiousness but uh she actually died two days before the call for another place for another place yeah yeah, yeah. and uh her suitcase for the institution was packed oh so yeah it was and all prepared all basically. prepared and on monday she and her sister were uh, supposed to call if there is a place for her and what is also quite devastating and i think we might get into it a little bit later is that um she actually uh tried to uh kill herself attempted yeah attempted yeah uh about two or three weeks before her death but only her um, boyfriend knew about it. Um, the boyfriend went to visit the psychiatrist with her and they didn't say a word to nobody. Uh, so about you didn't know? No, none of us knew. He mm -hmm. didn't say, uh, didn't tell anybody, not even the psychiatrist. And uh, what ate away at me for a long time was that if the psychiatrist or anyone knew about this, her place at the institution would have been secured. And she yeah, could yeah because it's help. risk for suicide yes yeah. because she was low risk and because of uh the fact that she was low risk she didn't get the place oh oh all the what-ifs right yes that's what I... we do over and over again all the what-ifs what if i had done this what if they had done that what if i knew right and i want to acknowledge um veronica that i i was yeah when when your sister Christina told me about your wedding, that she died oh, like a month before your wedding, I was devastated for you. But not just that; that you were you the you were the one who found her, right? Yes, <clears throat> I found her the Monday we were supposed to call again to the hospital. Mm. Yeah, Monday morning. I hate them even more than before, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just. Um... It's very traumatizing experience for me, but uh, surprisingly, I've been feeling it more lately than uh, right afterwards. Like you know, the first month after after her death, I I just couldn't feel my emotions properly. Um, mm. and I still struggle with that uh, until now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, me and my husband found her. It was then boyfriend, but uh, yeah, we basically. Uh, couldn't couldn't open the house and then I got the keys because she she gave them to me a few few days before and yeah I found her and I know that we are not supposed to talk about like how they do it but yeah. uh, I just want to say that it looked like a murder it's yeah, like it was bad. You, all, yeah. you all know like all those thriller movies when somebody finds a dead body that's how I felt yeah. you know, I was like okay murder happened yeah. and then like, an hour later we found it was suicide but um yeah i'm so sorry that you went through that i can't even imagine finding i was i was fortunate enough to not even be in the country when my dad died 
So by the time I got back, he had already been buried. So I couldn't yeah. even go to the funeral. But uh, finding that is one of them. I can't, I can't even think of, more, you know, experiences that are more traumatic than that. Finding a loved one dead, not only that, but by suicide. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and to say how sorry I am, Veronica. Nobody would go, should go through that. Yes, this this is uh, one of the key points where I think our journeys are different because she actually went through the trauma of finding her. I was the first one who she called. And I think I will never forget the animal-like scream I heard on the, at the end of the line. And I went right there, but she wasn't allowed in the house because the police was uh, already there. But <laughs> the thing my sister mentioned um, for example, for me, the when I think about the beginning, um, the time right after my mom died, it is a black hole. I basically cannot remember the first two weeks. I somehow managed to organize a funeral and everything around it, but I don't remember. I uh, don't remember it. I was constantly on the phone, uh, and my husband and all the fam uh, family came together to our house and, and helped to taking care of uh, my very young children at the time because my younger one was like 17 18 months old so she was really young and i was still nursing which was very demanding because i couldn't even hit uh anything for the emotional pain couldn't even get her xanax you know <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a horrible time and Right after that, uh, I called a therapist and went to therapy and that dive into the books. And uh, the thing that drove me was that I cannot, I absolutely cannot uh, collapse. Mm -hmm. I need to uh, pull myself together. And my wonderful husband actually uh, was there for me every step of the way and uh, told me for almost a year just to concentrate to my... Uh, uh at myself uh, concentrate on myself on yourself on yourself, on myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, to really really get through the trauma and we were discussing this with uh with veronica a lot of times that for example i was for a few first few months almost every week uh my children were taken care of by my in-laws mm -hmm. uh, and i had a day for myself and i uh, process my pain, sit with the pain, touch the pain, sort of say, like getting to know the pain, how it feels, what it does to me, to my body. And uh, I was writing letters to my mom and everything, everything wow. working through the pain. And uh, my sister went a kind of different route because of what she mentioned. I just I already know myself quite a bit. I'm 28 years old, and since since my birth, uh, you know, I kind of get to acknowledge uh, how mm. my emotions are processed. And for me, the trauma it never really hits like soon. It always hits like later, you know, when you least expect it. Usually, when you're experiencing uh, like huge amount of stress. And I remember everybody telling me like just take care of yourself just you know you can you can break you can fall apart you know don't worry about it but I just felt this pressure that I couldn't you know I had mm. I had work I had to plan my wedding in the end it was in September 
And then I got to this six months hiatus from work and from everything. And that was supposed to be like my time to, to heal and to reconnect with my emotions and to feel properly what I couldn't felt for the like past six months. But I don't feel it work, actually. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that my sister got through with it and really got to reconnect and got through therapy. And I, I, I went to therapy as well. But I don't know, I just didn't feel that I could like relieve my emotions in a healthy way. Uh-huh. And so I kind of repressed it, suppressed it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I to hold it together all the time. And yeah, it's still not processed, you know, it's still not good. Yeah. And in yeah. the end, you know, like the heaviest I feel is now. So I guess now I need the most therapy. Really? Yeah, that's weird. That's the weird thing. No, it's not weird. That That's grief. And grief is different for everyone. And, you know, when you say I suppress my emotions, sometimes it's just because it was too much for you. Some people talk about numbness. No, I didn't feel a thing. For six months, I was like, I, it was almost like I was out of my body and I couldn't feel anything. We feel what we feel. There is no recipe for grief. And that's, in a way, the beauty of, of grief is the fact that each one of us does it differently. And when you say, Veronica, that I felt that I couldn't process it or express my emotions in a healthy way, what what do you mean by that? I was curious. You wouldn't know how or you you maybe thought that you would lose control or what does that mean? Do you have a friend or a loved one who struggles with suicidal thoughts, ideation, or even previous attempts? If you do, I have some information for you. I know that the situation is scary, and many times we want to do the best we can to help, but we don't know how. Over the course of my 15 years working in this field, I have learned how to address these issues and that's what I want to share with you. And for that, I have just created an online course that will guide you step by step on how to sit down and have this difficult conversation. The course is called How to Help Suicidal People, and I purposely took a very straightforward approach so that when you finish, you will feel prepared to take action in a safe, non-judgmental and compassionate way. You will learn about the mental state of a suicidal person, how it impacts the way they view their personal crisis, how to bring hope into the conversation, how to prepare yourself to listen to them, especially when they talk about their emotional pain, how to create a safety plan, how to assess their risk level, and much, much more. The course comes in six modules and it's all videos with very simple language and reading materials for quick reference. If you think that this course is for you, click on the link on my notes or go to my website understandsuicide.com and click on the course tab. There you can also watch a free sample and have more information about the course. Thank you. That's exactly the thing, the losing control thing. Like, you know, I I have no problems with crying. Like I'm a crier. I cry every day. But... (laughs) 
uh yeah there's the thing like i remember to remember talking to my uh, therapist and being like you know i just can't let it out i can't let it out you know i want mm-hmm. to all let it out and she was like maybe you can let it out in a smaller portions like dripping coffee just try it by the drips mm-hmm. and i tried i really tried and i think it helped but i, I don't i can't even like ex- explain how was it like you know making myself feeling better or like just thinking about it like um just thinking about the pain for example uh. that was like the hardest for me because the soon i soon is or like the uh, moment the moment was. thank you <laughs> i realized uh my own pain and went deep with it i also realized how terrible our mom must have felt oh so you connected with her pain so I was like, no, 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 no. I can't handle it. I can't right. go there. So yeah. I was rather, yeah. So I was rather cynical and angry, which I still am. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sad, but also very angry. And I see, or I feel that the anger is helping me not to be so emotional, but it's also preventing me to let it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does the anger, what does the anger tell you? Hmm. That it's easy. It's easier with the anger. It is. Uh, yeah. It's um. What does it tell me? Right. It's it's much more easier to be angry with her. But I know it can't last forever because otherwise I'll be bitter and mm-hmm. I'll never deal with it, and then I'm gonna hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. I already see that it's uh, damaging my relationship. You know, like for example, when I'm angry all the time, and you know, I tend to get angry about a lot of things. You know, especially like small things. And of course, when you're angry all the time, it's affecting your relationships, especially with the ones that are closest. So I think my husband went through a lot, also because you know everybody basically took care about me. You know, everybody asked who I am. Yeah, everybody was like, uh, you know, how are you, Veronica? But nobody asked him, you know. I know that for him it was only mother-in-law and he didn't know her that well, but he found her with me. Oh, wow. It's the trauma, yeah. You know, he found out that his grandmother is dying, so it was like emotional turmoil for him as well, you know. So it's hard for us, you know, to understand each other sometimes because he, he he's su- super supportive, he understands the pain, but also like he couldn't express the pain in any way because he had to hold me together, you know. So yeah, that's yeah. what I think about a lot as well, you know, that that I need to let the anger go because otherwise I, I can never move on. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. Uh, we know with suicide, that's one of the emotions that with other kinds of death. It doesn't come around, right? It's just not there, the anger. You're not supposed to be angry at someone who died, right? But how can you not when it's suicide? Yeah, because the one uh, who died is also coincidentally the one who took your loved one. Killed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who killed. Yeah. Yeah. I also went through a quite short period of anger. But uh, what I wanted to say, what Veronica didn't mention, is that what makes it a little bit more, as I see it, complicated for her, is that. since she is dealing with the delayed response, mm-hmm. people are expecting her to be better by now. Oh, yeah. This- mm. So yes. everyone was like supportive and gathered around us at the beginning. 
and expected us to take it slow. So sometimes I'm like, uh, <coughs> I feel guilty because everyone was like, yeah, take your time and it's so horrible for you. But uh, this support gradually dries up mm -hmm. in the coming weeks and months. And when my sister is like still struggling with some stuff like holding the house after our, our mom, some people, family members are like, why isn't she still this? She's still feeling this, right? Yeah. Should be over it right now, right? Yes. People are expecting her to be over it. And it's harder to explain that she isn't. Yeah, I always kind of laughed about that I'm slower, you know, like <laughs> all the ways. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing, you know, you, you said it exactly, you know, it's maybe the anger as well, you know, is uh, trying to prevent me from like doing all the stuff as well. You know, it's paralyzing as well. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not only the anger. I, I wouldn't blame it on the anger. I blame it on the sadness, you know, and the, the whole trauma that is so inexplicable, you know, for me, like, you know, like I was kind of expecting uh, some trauma, some PTSD, you know, you, you read about these things, you know how it had, you know, I think I know quite a lot about like mental health, but at the same time, you can never recognize it with yourself. But recently I was like, okay, so do I have PTSD? Can you have even PTSD? And then I was like, yeah, sure, you can have PTSD even from like, you know, nothing, you know, almost or something that sounds like nothing to me. But yeah, and then I I read all the symptoms of PTSD and I was like, hell, you know, this is this is this is it, you know, that's why I'm so angry all the time or so so irritated, or like basically like all the symptoms were there and I know what's the right way to do is basically find a psychiatrist and deal with that. But it's so hard to like move on to the next step because. Because it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's super scary. Exactly. It's scary because, and you know, we, we mental health professor, we talk about anger as a secondary emotion because it's actually something masking the one that you are so afraid of getting in touch with. Which for you, of course, is the trauma of finding your mom, the sadness of losing her, the aloneness of being with this pain that nobody understands and they never will, even if they've had this experience. And, and like your sister was saying, uh, you know, people expect you to be over it. And of course, that ignites and kind of feeds the anger too. But I'm glad to hear things like you're saying, you know, I don't I don't want this to prolong anymore. So maybe you're getting to the point where you're going to say, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to dig into this and do some crying, more crying, but not crying of anger because you're angry, but crying because you lost your mother. And that's a horrible thing. And that's painful. And I'm sure that you you and you have reasons to be angry i mean she did it one month before what was supposed to be your happiest moment right the happiest day of your life not only was she not there but she also left you with that pain and to deal with all of that so it's absolutely understandable don't feel bad that you're angry because i can hear from you that you are moving you are moving you know how we see that uh 
grief is healthy, is happening in a healthy way? Because I know right now it doesn't feel like it for you, that you feel like you're stuck in your anger. But when you say that, you know, the different days you feel differently, you, you feel anger. Yeah, there are days when I cry and there are days when I'm numb or there are days when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling that and I'm okay. That's healthy grief. The problem is when you're only going down. If you feel that you're only getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And like you said, you know, I'm really glad to hear that you are attending you're paying attention to the relationships and how it affects them because that's another loss that you can have if you don't if you don't you know pay attention to that but it sounds like you are and it sounds like you you're maybe moving towards you know another another moment of your grief yeah thank you thank you that's something like my uh, ex-therapist would probably say (laughs) um Yes, but it's also, you know, it's so uh, tiring, you know, like I'm tired because of it all the time. And uh, also to admit the heaviness of it all, of course, I know about it. And sometimes like when I'm in the right moment, I admit it to myself. But, you know, to be honest, it's just easier to run from it right now. Of course, yeah. Yeah, Of course it is. Like, you know, I'm not a runner in real life, but emotionally. I'm a great mother. I'm just seeing Christina going, uh-huh, uh-huh. For those who are not watching and just listening, her sister is just nodding her head like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've known her her entire life. She's my little sister. So. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It doesn't sound like you're a runner. It just sounds like you're still not ready, but you, you will get there. There will be a time you're already, you're already realizing what's doing to your life. And you're already saying, I don't want this anymore. So that's a first step. Yes. I wanted to also talk about one thing that I was missing when I was reading all the books. Mm. Um, the specific pain of losing a parent. Because I think you were the, one of the very few people who talked about losing a parent as an adult to suicide. Because uh, uh, most of the, even people in your podcast or most of the books were uh, really focused on losing, especially a, a spouse or a teenage uh, child, a child. Yeah. in its own way. I cannot even imagine, but I was missing a <clears throat> literature or something to connect with uh, the pain of losing a parent when you are adult, because I think it's different than losing a parent when you are a child. I'm not saying worse or better, but uh, for example, for me, the main emotion I was feeling right after uh, my mom died was this spiral of guilt Mm. because I was uh, feeling responsible for her, which has something to do with uh, a lot of things because my mom went through a messy divorce and uh, counted on me with everything from basically um, Christina was uh, being like in a parental role since she was like 17 or 18 you know so it was super difficult for her because she had to take care of me and then uh, both of our parents who uh, treated her like their own therapist Uh and I don't think it's very healthy for a young person like that so 
that's we were talking about it today and I told Christina yeah of course you felt guilty because you took care of her last almost 15 years you know mm. so that's difficult you know to like get out of this position that you think you're in yeah because I was always um taking responsibility for the decisions it was also for example in her family her parents and her sister because she was not she was a lot of things she was loving and uh caring and she was so giving she gave away to all the charities you can imagine mm-hmm. yeah, but, but she, she was, was also not... a bit res- irresponsible yeah she was a big child and the fact that she was so irresponsible led to a situation where her parents and her sister when they needed something to be done or discussed they were coming to me and I was making those decisions That's a lot ahead of time yeah too early in life right become yes. the parent very early yeah yeah for example uh one thing that ate away at me for a long time was that when my sister was 15 I think 15 and I was yes. 19 uh I was fresh out out of high school and uh starting university starting living uh, starting living with my boyfriend now husband and uh, my parents were going through a very messy divorce and uh, my mom lost it I later uh was told that she considered contemplated suicide actually at the time it was 10 years ago now 13, 13 years ago now sorry uh my sister is good with dates uh, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you the whole timeline <laughs> yeah uh and we were living with my mom and she like abandoned the responsibilities of a parent of a teenage child and me and my uh, husband were the ones to like manage the shoppings and everything and we were 19 so it was oh. really hard and my sister went off rails a bit yeah as you can imagine you know of course year old you don't listen to your older sister and uh, when your parents are breaking up and nobody basically asks you about your opinion it's like you know i don't care yeah 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 well, let's have party you know i don't care so this this time in our lives is a bit blurry but basically what my sister was trying to say my or our mom she fell apart she basically allowed herself to do the thing that i'm not allowing myself to do right now and that is to fall apart you know and i was kind of uh holding uh holding this against her because i was expecting her to be the parent and i was and this created a little bit of war uh, between us for quite some time because uh, in the end uh, when my sister was failing at school and uh, wasn't taken care of as I seen it I asked my father to take her in and I think my mom was deeply hurt by that well you did what you thought was best for your sister i was struggling with this decision but ultimately i don't think it was my place to make this decision no no this is what my therapist told me but for 10 years i was struggling whether i made the right decision and it was my therapist who had to tell me 
It wasn't your decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. So stop worrying about it. Your parents should have talked about it and decide about it, not you at 19 years old. Yeah. And Veronica, I want to just go back to something you said because it touched touched me deeply. And maybe it's something that's getting in the way of you letting all these emotions come out. You mentioned your mom. Well, she did what I can't do right now. You are not your mom. You have other tools. You are different from her. And if you let it out and you process these emotions, it doesn't mean that you're going to do it the same way she did. You are not her. So allow yourself to know that, okay? Thank you for telling me that you're not the first and probably not the last one. And I really need to hear that. That's true. But it's just uh, so hard to detach yourself from from your parents, right? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I was already traumatized by the divorce. And I admitted yeah. like eight years after the divorce <laughs> that I was actually traumatized by that. And so that's why I always knew I was kind of slow with these things. <laughs> mm. Uh, and also because everybody kept telling me all my life that I'm like my mom by oh. my like, face, you know, and even though, like, for example, my sister, sometimes when she was alive, she had big troubles understanding why is mom like that. And I always thought of myself that I, I understand it better, you know, because I was, I don't, not saying that I have depression, but I was always a bit more on the melancholic side, if you can call it like that and more on the emotional side and uh, so I always felt like I have this connection with mom that I know mm -hmm. how she feels so that's why I feel so guilty sometimes that I didn't recognize it because you know oh my god you know I, I, I knew the pain but actually you know I never knew the pain only after she left us you know I was we always like laugh about that that like if our mom wanted to tell us how difficult she is. She could just tell us, you know, she couldn't, she, she didn't have to kill herself, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. now, now we really know what the pain feels like and we will forever know. And there's better ways to do that. But of course, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to be angry with her. I don't want to blame her because I got to understand that she was sick, but it's so hard not to take it personally. And especially with, Christina talking about especially when it comes from a parent and it's so hard to like admit that it wasn't your fault and it wasn't because they didn't love you it was yes. because they didn't love themselves that's how the child feels the child yeah. in you and the teenager in you who back then felt abandoned by your mom because even though it was your sister and your dad's decision that you would move out for the child is she left she abandoned me she doesn't want to take care of me anymore and now you are reconnecting with that that's what that's what we do so she did it again so of course you're angry yes and also the effect you know when when it is your parent you, you mentioned the abandonment but also we talked about a lot uh, what it does to your sense of motherhood because <laughs> because I was already a mother when my mom died and my sister might be a mother in the future. And we dealt with this particular subject quite differently because for me, it was incomprehensible, inconceivable. How, how can you do that? How can you leave them? I was maybe 
I was even more mad at her that she left my kids. <laughs> How could yeah. she leave my kids? Her grandchildren. Her grandchildren, the, the perfect little creatures, <laughs> the best people in the universe who I love with my whole heart. Whole heart. How could she do that? Because I felt the mother, mother's love. I feel it every day. This is just beyond any comprehension for me. And uh, and I struggled with this. Uh, in the beginning, I, for example, struggled with my little one calling me mom, even. Because, yeah, that was terrible. Yes. What do you mean I, you struggled? My, my little one always called mom, uh, of course. And I, and I was like, oh, but I don't have my mom. I can't. I don't have anyone to mom anymore. So it was it was painful to hear it. Oh my god, so many layers aren't there. And it and my sister, she had her doubts about motherhood even before. And when my mom died, she was like, Yeah, <laughs> I cannot have I'm children. Done. Yeah, it's not happening. Not happening. Yeah, of course not right now. But yeah, I just remember that the day I found her and we all met in this house, you know, with my sister's place, and I just heard her daughter calling her mom, and I was like, oh, oh shit, you know, like we will never have somebody to call our mom again. That's that's the thing I lost right now. I didn't realize that mom is dead. Of course, that takes like few months, weeks, maybe for me years, you know, to fully admit. Okay, she's not here. She's still in our dreams, for example. That's make it, that makes it pretty confusing sometimes. But yeah, the the thing that mom doesn't exist anymore for us, that I can't call my mom, that's that was like the knife in my heart, you know. The person you have known your entire life, the person who brought you into this life, is not there anymore. My husband actually did this sweet thing at the beginning when he was talking about his mom, he called her grandma for me oh. because he didn't want to uh say yeah my mom called mom called and everything because uh he knew how hard for me it was in the beginning the word mom. she died actually a week before mother's day so it was oh my uh, goodness especially cruel uh to see all the tributes and everything yeah oh yeah no it's you know like when the when the heaviness falls it falls all over again you yeah. know or like yeah, all of this comes back, doesn't it? So how could she do it like a month before my wedding, a week before Mother's Day, and and you just go on and on and on, and it will be there for a long time. I have been, and my my dad died what seventeen, eighteen years ago. I, the only thing I can tell you, it does get lighter. It mm -hmm. does. The heaviness spreads, and because you build your life and you. You will get better. It you really have you found a, a group? We talked about groups, and you said there are no groups there. Um, I actually joined right after I, I joined some Facebook support groups. Oh, good. I connected with a girl, uh, with a few people, and one of them was a girl from uh New States, New York, I think, who lost her father mm -hmm. uh, like uh, two weeks before my mom, and we texted each other uh throughout the year and went through the similar stages and it helped me a lot to share this good yeah I, I want to just go back quickly to what you said yeah not many people talk about the loss of parents and not only that i totally agree with you and that that was actually one of the reasons why i wanted to write my book because as you said it's all about losing kids 
because I think it's the idea that it's a natural thing, right? It's a natural thing. You, we lose parents, but they forget that not by suicide. That's not natural. And not like years uh, before their time because. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really tough. So tell me to end this interview. I want you to tell me what helped both of you. I can tell that, of course, the relationship here. You you have you guys have to watch this on YouTube because just to see their faces and when they look at each other, you just see the connection. You can feel it. I'm sure you helped each other. They're hugging each other right now. You helped each other, you know, and it sounds like you you were in touch with the differences too. I mean, Veronica was somewhere and Christina was somewhere else, each one searching for a different path, one trying to avoid it and very angry, the other one trying to understand it at all costs. But you were together and it doesn't sound like there was judgment there. So was that something that helped and also relationships? What helped both of you? Mm. You can start. I think you mentioned it. I always need to understand things to get through them. So when I read everything there was to read about it. When I got the tools and the the words to describe what was happening to me and what was happening to my mom, I could talk about it. I could internalize uh, it. I could uh, get into terms with it. This helped me. And of course, my uh, family, especially my sister and my husband, who were support nothing but a support supportive all the time and there was never any grain of judgment towards me and when I was judging myself relentlessly my husband was repeating to me all the time uh that it was not my fault that I couldn't have done anything and I said so this mm. this was it really helped yeah I love when you mentioned that you said you have, you know, for the next year, just take care of yourself. And I was like, wow, this is one special man. <laughs> yeah, because usually we say, yeah, just take a few days, right? As if, as if. Oh, no, yeah. he went like 200% for wow. past year and a half. And when I was ready, I was also getting to our, our marriage in therapy and everything. I wanted to give back and acknowledge him, but he was a rock. I couldn't have managed wow. without him. Wow, I'm so glad. Well, thank, thanks to him. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Veronica? I have to agree with Christina, like her husband is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the same thing. I unfortunately haven't read that many books because I felt like uh, it wouldn't help me. Because mm -hmm. I didn't need to understand it. You know, it was something like so inexplicable, you know, that I was like, okay, I, I hope it helps you, like Christina, to understand it. And, you know, she talked about it a lot with me. So that helped me probably <laughs> as well, like the shorter versions. Yeah. But honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what's helping me or helped yeah. me. Um, and basically, yes, I, I have to say that I'm super lucky to have sister like that, to have a husband like I have, to have a brother-in-law like that. <laughs> and also friends. Uh, yeah. I feel very emotional about them because I know that like, I've got this group of really, really old friends and they knew my mom and my mom knew them and she, she really loved them and they loved her. 
So, of course, to see my friends coming to the funeral or uh, being like, you know, throwing me a surprise birthday party uh, like a month after she died, because, yeah, it was month, not my wedding only. And the thing, like uh, Christina was saying, that people tend to forget. I think, of course, they forgot a bit that, you know, I'm still dealing with the trauma, but not all of them. And I still feel like this huge wave of support from them. And I'm just, yeah, yeah, uh, from some of them. And I just just so thankful for that. But, no, I wish there was something like, um, something magical. but Like a magic magic pill, right? That I could just take. Yeah, magic pill, that's what I always wish for. But if I ever find it, I'll let you know and I'll send it to you, okay? But I don't think it's coming. <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> what helps is this, is you two together talking about this loss, understanding that it's different for both of you. You deal one way, she deals another. You're not judged. And you acknowledge what's happening to you, even though it's not, like you said, well, it, I don't want this to go on. It, it needs to change. But you needed the time to see that because you needed the anger. It's like denial. So many people deny, deny, deny. And one day they just break down because it was way too painful for them to acknowledge before. Your brain knows what you need. But I'm I'm just glad to see you two together. Not only that, but very, very grateful that you came on my podcast. And I'm sure this is going to be so helpful to families. And that's what I try to do here with this work. So thank you for being here with us and sharing your pain so openly. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You've been listening to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. If you've been touched by suicide and believe your story might help others, please consider contacting Paola through her website, understandsuicide.com.